out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of drummer and producer. It is the one and only Dave Morgan, who was in Alternative TV Plus loads of other bands, hundreds in fact, um, The Weather Prophets, The Loft, Western Electric and 12 Cubic Feet, just to name a few. Anyway, look, let's get on with the interview. So after several minutes of casual chat, we got down to that very exciting subject that was the early formative years. I'd just been talking about mine, which was fascinating. Mostly it was glam. Thankfully, David Bowie was my first single and first love. Anyway, Dave, you're going to tell us everything and tell us now. It's over to you. Oh, because it was weird. I, I started playing piano when I was seven. God, you were so a I was playing were the a, classics. Were you a prodigy? Was that what? A prodigy. Were you one of these people who just had... No, this- no, we had... To, we had to, my school was really good. We had a stage. They used to put on shows. So everyone in the school was in the shows. Right. And there was a brilliant music teacher, Mrs Smith, playing piano. And then my mum said, oh, we'll go for les- lessons with her. You know, so I had lessons with her. Learning Fur Elise and Beethoven and it's like all the classics. My God, that was such a progressive school. Was this in London? Yeah, East London. Wolfhamstow, that's where I come from, yeah. We didn't have that in the East Anglian countryside at all. No, you would never have that, no. We had that was a pro- new school, you know, theatre bit, you know, it's like great. Fantastic. And were your parents at all kind of into music and... Arts. Well, we had a piano, so my mum, my mum come from um, Poplar in the East End, proper like Cockneys, you know, from Bow, and they used to love musical, <laughs> to play right. musical songs on the piano, hey, Mrs. Mills, but sort of playing the black notes, you know what I mean? Sort of this weird improvisation. Yes. So yeah. I grew up with music all around, it's like thinking around, I'm like five, going, oh, look, it makes music, you know. Just loved it and did my grades until like 1974, I think. My God, so you grade had, two. You had the you had the gift. You you sort of you know not I me. Love it. Yeah, yeah, I don't really play now. I mean, play it for programming or whatever, but I don't really. My main instrument is drums. Yeah. That's what I felt when punk happened. It was like, oh, get rid of the no. That's it. I'm just gonna have a bongo and a you know symbol and a piece of string. And that's I'm, what ama- I play. I'm amazed yeah, that's you didn't fun. go the prog rock route and start going into sort of the. Keyboard. Oh, you love love can love kraut rock, love all that stuff. Henry Cow, right? Brilliant, yeah, love it. What about prog rock? Prog prog rock, yeah. I mean, it's a bit, you know, not Genesis, not no, no, didn't really get it. I love kraut <laughs> rock. Don't think you can define that as prog rock. It's not really the same. Did you have any other older brothers or sisters who did a bit of a musical moment? Oh god, it got five five older sisters, and they all had records. So I was into Led Zeppelin and Sabbath and the Beatles and the Stones when I was age five. You know, early. And then the radio on all the time, music everywhere in the house. Loved it. You god, know? you must have had such a busy house with six kids. I was meant, it's like a little council house in Walthamstow on a big housing estate, like five blocks of flats. And we were opposite the sort of council estate pub called the Duke of Cambridge. So you just come out of our house and go straight into the pub. So you could watch every, the whole world happen outside my bedroom window. You know, it's like mental. God, that's amazing. So were, the, was, were you one of six children, five older daughter, uh, sisters? Yeah, I was the youngest boy, yeah. So I got spoiled a bit. So I got yes. sent to music lessons and stuff, you know. Blimey. But we weren't, we weren't at all. We were pretty poor, you know what I mean? But, uh, I think my mum used to do cleaning for the music teacher, so I got free lesson, you know. Yes. There were, you know, I sort of have that sort of working-class background, but mostly in the countryside, well, all, all in the countryside. So it was just, yeah. That was it, really. But, you know, parents never sort of borrowed. Oh, no, them. I had the sound of the music hall. All right, Dave, how you doing? You know, it's EastEnders, absolutely, you know. All the way. So then, yes, you were a little bit older. So did you start to sort of pick up that punk kind of experience, especially? Oh, like, like you, I love the glam thing, love Wizards and love T-Rex and Bolan and Bowie and, you know, everything, you know. Right, but um, none of punk happened for me about 76 or 75 
mates from school loved it. So we used to listen to John Peel and went out and bought Anarchy on the EMI label because we had Small Wonder Records as our local record shop, the top of Walthamstow Market. Right. And they were putting out Bauhaus and Menace. And so we could just go there and just get all these fantastic records, you know. Jesus. So I bought Anarchy on the EMI label. I was like, yes. Blimey, that was very hit. That was a big influence. When I saw Bill Grundy show, you know, that was like, bloody hell, that's what I want, you know. <laughs> yes, Probably absolutely. So when you hit 16, which was about 79, which is the same year that Thatcher, get, Thatcher gets into power, did you stay, in a, stay on at school for sixth form or did you leave by then? No, I left school straight away and got a job as a train driver. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I used to work at Liverpool Street, Stratford and that, and, and I'm just, I had money to go to gigs. So I made some school, because we formed a band called The Ordinary. We used to go to rehearsal places and play and record. And I had a little tape fit called Conventional Tapes. And we're into the punk thing, but the post-punk thing was more our time. And how when it got weird, we used to love like ATV when it turned into the good missionaries and go and see Gang of Four and Scree Politi and all these bands, you know. It's like, yes. Well, it, it was, was local in- to us. Just jump, jump on the 38 bus and you're in town. Boom. My God. So what was your first gig? First one was ATV at Greenwich Theatre with the transmitters and a group called Fashion, I believe. Right. And then saw them again when turned into the Good Missionaries, the pop group. This Heat, Street Police, Slits, The Fall, Peru, Boo, loads of bands. 79 was just like, go and see a band every week, you know. Absolutely. Loved it. Well, that... So we yeah. had our own little label, our own little label called Conventional Tapes. So we put our cassettes, put them out in Sounds magazine, you know, and get sold. And we used to hang out with, um, or contacted Door in the Window. Now, if you know them, that Mark Perry was drumming for, these two guys called Bendor and Nag. And it was about sort of, you know, do-it-yourself times, you know what I mean? And here's how to make a record. The, you know, Scrutiny Plitty on their record would say, look, you have to contact this agency, and that's where you get your records pressed, get your John Ball printing kit out, write it out, make a record. You know, it was time, do it DIY stuff, you know? Yes, because it was so kind of... It. <laughs> Which is, yeah, I know it's a very exciting time because there was a kind of the punk period and then obviously, you know, there was the post-punk world, which was all the sort of slightly more avant-garde bands that you it's just mentioned. Darker, yeah, yeah. It was, and- yeah, I didn't like when punk turned into oi. I was like, no, that's it, lost. Uh, I must admit, whenever I see, yes, when I see those kind of, I don't know, BBC Four documentaries or not documentaries, but when they do a sort of punk special and you see these bands on top of the pops during that period, they just looked like lads just shouting at the microphone. It was, yeah. it was so... No, blo- I wasn't into that. I want art rock. That's what I want, you know. Yes. But I mean, I'm in AT... Well, was in ATV as well. Twice, three times I've been in ATV. So I know Mark P really well. Yeah. He's always on those punk programmes. Because <laughs> it was kind of interesting during that period, because, you know, there was the kind of... The experience of, that we suddenly had was the Falkland War, and then we had the sort of minor strike and Green and Common. And then yeah, 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 hard times. Red, Red Wedge. Because a lot of the indie bands I've interviewed good, yeah. were all sort of un, on the unemployed, you know, racket and claiming job seekers allowance. But you sort of obviously were able to sort of balance the the, the career. Oh, no, I only, only did the train driving for about a year, eight months or something. And like, that's it, chuck it in, go on the dial, bang. Oh, Join well, we- band. And uh, this guy, Bendel, had a room in Crouch End. He's like, right, I'm going to move to Crouch End. That's it. They've got a little rehearsal space. Just do it full time. Was this with The Ordinary? Uh, no, this is um, the casual labourers. So we're playing, playing gigs supporting, like, the Lemon Kittens at the Africa Centre and playing the LMC. That was a big part for me. That was a massive, big place in Camden. You could get a gig there. Uh, jazz Punk Bonanza. Mark Perry was putting on, so playing that, it was like, brilliant, you know. Yes, blimey. Avant-garde, free-form music, love all that stuff. Dear old the Lemon Kittens that became Daniel Dax's band. Indeed, yeah, yeah. Yes, I think, I, I don't think as well. Cold it's Blake. all incestuous. We've all been in each other's bands, you know. Well, it, I didn't really quite pick this up until I've been doing this show, how just like, 
you know, everybody's kind of slips into each other's little sort of groove, don't they? Absolutely. You know, I mean, I'm, I've been trying to write notes and how I got into bands and all that. It's like, <laughs> yeah, well, this band needs a drummer. So I went join that. I was for a while, I was like in about 10 bands, you know, it's just you know, 1979, 80, 81. Uh, this band, Take It, was they were influenced by Vic Goddard and that Songs for Sale album where he went all swing. Yeah. So we supported him at the Ronnie Scott's. I'm like, how? I'm, I'm 19, I'm Ronnie Scott's, for goodness sake. Do you know what I mean? So, did you ever have kind of drumming lessons or anything of that kind of, you know, how did you sort of learn to become a drummer? Uh, just paying my dues on, on a bongos and a, and a cymbal and a piece of string. That's what you do you know but I, I found it was natural transition from piano to playing drums because you use your feet playing the piano it's like oh yeah yeah okay hands and feet and i just found it really natural to play drums i thought yeah. right that's it give up the piano and one of my eldest sister bought me a set of drums when i was 17 and that was it i was on the road boom 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 yes well did you i mean with that period because it was it was kind of I mean, there was there was the kind of explosion of India. And I suppose I do put it down as '83 being one of those very important years because that's the years of the, the year of the Smiths. I know this is really corny, but you know there was like from '83 to '87 there was that kind of explosion of like indie music with people like the June Brides and then the you know Austrian oh, oh, gotcha. like, you know the Go Betweens and the and the Triffids. So there was a sort of a, a kind of from memory and remembering my obsession with the buying the enemy on a Wednesday and listen to John Peel religiously. There just seemed oh, to be sort of no it, end yeah. of this kind of amazing music. And then the Smiths broke up and that five-year narrative sort of comes to an end and then the ecstasy world comes along and the next wave of 16 to 18-year-olds start to want their band. Yeah, you... I jumped on that ecstasy wave as well, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> so what was, your uh, early, what was your early 80s period then? So you were in the casual labour... Labourers. Casual labourers, but that sort of ended. Um, and then I ended up in a band called 12 Cubic Feet with Paul Platypus. On a sort of fall sound. And they knew Alan McGee. Right. From Scotland. And he started doing a club called the Communication Club. So we played the Communication Club in 82, I think it was, 82, 83, and supported the Go-Tweens. One of their early shows in 83, I think 83 it was, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, and then he got us to come and play the very first living room. So we played the living room with uh, TVPs, I think it was, then supported the Nightingales. Uh, and then I went to a pub in Crouch End and met Pete Astor. I joined what was then called the living room. But his, his club was called the living room as well. So he made us change the name to something different, a different room in the house. The so we chose the lock. <laughs> so you put with the twelve cubic feet. You did a you did one cassette, didn't you, on scum 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 tapes squares on Sunday? Were you? Did wow! You so you know about them. You know about <laughs> he knows his stuff. My God. Yes. So what were the recordings like? What was your memory of, the, of putting that down? No, I don't think I, I did recording. I think it was after the drum left. So this is about, this is 83. 82, 83. 82, yeah, I, yeah. I don't think I did a record. They had that 10-inch out. I had some cassettes out, but I didn't do recording. I just did live shows with them. And as I say, we did living room a couple of times. Yes. What was your, what's your impression or memories of the, of the living room after the communication club, or both of them? It's just upstairs at a pub. <laughs> I mean, it's not, you know, he made it like a, you know, there was a fireplace there and stuff. It was just, it's great, you know. Did you? There's another did, place to play. Were you kind of aware of the other scenes, like the the back, was it the back cave, the, you know, the goth scene or Alice Yeah, the back, yeah, sort of. wasn't really into it. I was aware of that sort of stuff, but. Found my niche in the living room and stuff. That was... So that kind of new Paisley sound that started happening during the early 80s. And then there was, was that something that kind of tickled your fancy? I just liked a good band. I didn't really get 
hooked on any specific genre. I just wanted to make music, you know, just play the drum. I love playing the drums, making music. Yeah. I was hung up on Paisley sound. I mean, I like psychedelia stuff, but I don't get locked into one thing, really. But then you got on the 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 loft, who's who's obviously has this kind of relationship with um, Alan McGee because you're on Creation Records, aren't you? And also they become the Weather Prophets, which is very exciting. So what was that? What was that period like? And also now they're reissuing all these records, aren't they? Oh God, yeah, we had that double CD on Cherry Red. I think it's coming out on vinyl this year as well. Three right. album thing, you know, coming out. Don't know when July. So when you when you were when you were in the loft, was this your only band, or were you still playing with other people? Uh, I did uh, Legend Destroys the Blues as well, which is like number eight or something on the creation list. So because I knew Legend or Jerry Thackeray, as he's called, for ages before I met you know a Astor or anything. Yes. But did it um, with the loft and then the wedding, the weather prophets? Did it feel like you were yeah, in? No, don't say the wedding because I know Sean as well. <laughs> the wedding present. <laughs> Do you? Blimey, he was in the film, wasn't he? Yeah, he's in Jetstream Pony now. That's his outfit. Yes. So what? <laughs> the drama when, from... But when you managed to, um, yes, get into the Pete Astor world, did you feel like you'd sort of become part of the the indie scene that was going to go places? Kind, there was definitely a feeling that there was a buzz going around. You know, I could tell that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wasn't doing any more side projects. It's like, no, this is going to take my time here. We're going to work. And made your first record was Wide as the Rain. So, my God, yeah, I made a vinyl record. Fantastic. Yes. And then worked with John Rivers doing Up the Hill. I was like, brilliant. Because the first one was like produced by Joe Foster. He's got like one mic over the drums and there you go. It's a very sort of lo-fi kind of sound. And then you, you're working at a proper studio with producer and it's like fantastic. Different world. So it. with that particular one, you did, yeah, because Up the Hill and Down the Slope is a bit of a classic. What was the kind of reason the band sort of sort of puttered out on that and then sort of became the weather, uh, weather prophets of Jesus? Freudian <laughs> slip. There. I know. Well, because Pete split the band. Now it was kind of clash of egos, and it just didn't happen. We were doing that tour with the Colour Field, and it sort of happened there. We split up on it was the Hammersmith Palais, and that was it. We split yes. up on stage. God, did you? you with headlines in the NME. It's like, yeah, the colour field did the show. And also the lot split up. You know, massive paragraphs about the did you, did you Did you know it was going to happen that night? Yeah, me and Peter talked about it. And it was the growing distance between the band. And they were music journalists. That's the thing. They were like going off interviewing Bruce Springsteen and God knows what. You know, like, oh, wow, this is a completely different world, you know. It's a very and Pete was a songwriter, so we were good mates. And he said, right, well, I'm going to split the band now. That's it. And I want you to come off and form the Weather Prophets. And that was the one. God, you went with him. It. It, so was... It, was just, uh, so it was only just us two. That's all there was. We never entered the band. So McGee to come in and play bass on the first record. And he just sat in doing uh, Woman My Brain. And then my mate, Asheen, from Crouch End, and Pete got his mate, Dave Golding. And that was the forming of the Weather Prophets. Nice. And then we went and did Mayflower. Which is a classic. But before that, I do remember John Peel playing Almost Prayed. And I did sort of go and buy the the double, I think it was the double single, seven-inch single, wasn't That's it? That's right, yeah, yeah. You know, with my hard-earned money. And it was just like, because that was pop perfection, really, wasn't it? Almost prayed. It was up there with, you know, the June Brides and that kind of... It was so well-crafted, that song, wasn't it? Well, we did take the Smiths as a model, do you know what I mean? That was... And television, it's like, yeah, that's that's where we're going for, you know? Can you Jingle remember... Jingle you know, sort of defined it. But I was into my can, and I love funk as well, do you know, I love James Brown and all that. I just mixed those two together and made the beat up the hill. You know, it, it's funky drummer, basically, you know. And we Pete did this sort of Sid Barrett type style, and that's the two, all the styles coming together. Where, Synthesis is the way forward, you know, that's how you make new music. This it's is all true. been done before. 
You just have to put new bits together. So with a, being a, a musician artist in, in the studio, when you have that, you know, recording, did you sort of feel when you did Almost Prayed that it was, it was like, God, that's a really good record? Oh, God, yeah. Well, like you, I was listening to the Euro, um, thing with Pete Astor as well, because we did record it, and I went, no, nah, it's not good enough, you know what I mean? So we used the radio session. Because we were a great organic band, things happened live, you know, and it was great to go and see us live. But we needed to capture that on record, and that's real art to do that. You know, you can get really sanitised and there's just no feeling, you know. But if you're just in the room, let it flow. It was going to happen, wasn't it? And with the band, did you, because, you know, were you starting to sort of get quite a lot of traction sort of elsewhere in the country outside the kind of the NME and John Peel world? With the Weather Prophets or? Yeah, the Weather Prophets. Did you know the Weather Prophets? Yeah, we were playing Germany a lot, you know, I mean, that was a great European tour we did as well. But, um, yeah, mainly England, really. It was very sort of... Cent- there wasn't the sort of big spread of music, you know what I mean? It was, like, very London-centred, really, you know, England-centred. It was. Indie music. So was it a surprise? Because you did the album, was it Mayflower, which was kind of... Um, came out in 87, then the band sort of finished in 88, didn't it? So what was the... Did you just kind of run out of steam? No, Pete wanted to finish it. I mean, because Alan McGee was managing me as well at that time when I did Mayflower. So I did uh, Sonic Flower Groove by the Primals as well. We just uh, budget at Rockfield and didn't get the album finished. And then Bobby just got rid of the drummer and got a couple of people in the band. And I grafted in to, fin- to do the album. So and I did that and then he got me to play Space Band 3. We're playing with Rose Dow as well and um and Jazz Butcher, Fiskotech as well. I did so 87, 88. I was my fingers in lots of pies doing loads of albums. Rockfield. People. So what was your memory of going to Rockfield and recording? No, I didn't go to Rockfield. No, the primals went to Rockfield. There is a, a version they did of Sonic Flower Groove that they've scrapped totally. And then we went to different Pat Collier's studio, Greenhouse, I think it's called, in Old Street. Yeah, it was called Greenhouse, yeah. So we did it all from scratch there with Mayo Thompson producing. He's fantastic, real joy to work with him. And he made me a hurricane fighter. We both (laughs) went on a trip. (laughs) Jesus. Fantastic. My God. So so by 88, though, were you in... You know, you you obviously recorded a lot of albums. It was in every indie band there was. I invented it. <laughs> you did, basically, you were there. So when you've seen those documentaries, like The Wedding Present and George Best, did you see that one, that particular film? I didn't see that, but as I say, I do know Sean as well. And he said that Loft Up the Hill was a massive influence on them. And that indie dance beat, the dum dum everyone used that, you know. But we were the first to use it. I was the first to use it. Yes. No, it was just that there was a big issue with within the film and obviously, you know, during the recording with the drummer and the producer and the click track. And I just wondered what your memories of kind of working with producers and click tracks were. Because I did an interview with, you know, there was that... I, in that... Ne- I never had a click track. All mine are just me playing, you know, I'm naturally in time. Yes. But I love click tracks now. I work all the time with click tracks. It's really easy like Jim's album, done with connecting people from Devon and up in Scotland. And, you know, so you have to have it to a click track so all the parts fit together. So most of the time I'm playing with click tracks. Love yeah, them. it was just during this but I like making my own click tracks of, like, a shaky tambourine or something, just loop that, rather than just a ding, 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 you know, something that moves a bit. Yes. I just wonder what you, you sort of might have made if you'd seen the film because it was this kind of issue between the drummer and this producer and the band and then they have to get rid of the drummer and get another drummer in and it becomes very oh. kind of it becomes slightly complicated and um and there was another well, story. If you can't play in time you know what i mean that's 
It's what you're gonna do. It's your first law drumming. You got playing time. <laughs> yes, but as a, as a fan, you don't realise that it was that precise. I suppose, and and you think, God, that wasn't too. No, bad. as I say, I mean, there was no click tracks on Mayflower or Sonic Flower Groove or or anything, or any Creation Record, nothing. I didn't play with click tracks, God, until the nineties, maybe. Yes, but Even then now I was doing Vic Goddard and stuff. We never had. No, I'll just go, here we go. People dance to my drumming, you know what I mean? That's Because I did a, I did an interview with uh, Lindy Morrison from... It was Lindy Morrison. Yeah, I know Lindy well, yeah, yeah. From, from the Go-Betweens, and she, she nearly had a sort of a breakdown because of the whole engineer click track issue. And, and, the, and the, you know, like, she, this is the story she said, that the producer had gone up to her partner, was it Robert? Robert Forster and said, look, you can, you can, you can have, you know, you can have it sounding like this with, you know, basically your partner playing and it's going to sound like that, or we can have it without her and have it sort of done professionally. And it's going to sound a lot better. Oh God. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Samples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And then and then the woman who was in, is it Patty Shell? Shannon from Hull, who was in the Courtney Love Band. I mean, she also had this big thing with the producer and her, and they got to loggerheads, and then she gets removed from the band. And, you know, it didn't help it's, her. It do- depends how you do it. If you just put in the click drummer and everyone's going to play in the room, that doesn't work. It's really difficult because everyone goes off on their own thing and the drummer's trying to keep it in time to the click, but no one else is keeping to the click. So you get right. these weird pulls and pushes in music, you know, so it just sounds disjointed. So it's better to do it without it. But um, it's better, what you want to do is layer it, really. That's how I do records now. It's like, put the click down, I'll play to the click, then pass it on and someone put the piece on top and whatever. But you get a different kind of music, you know what I mean, where it's layered and everyone's done their bit separately rather than being yes. in the room. But trying to get a band to play with a click track is quite difficult, you know. What you can the, see what, why all these drummers suffered, you know. But when did you watch the Beatles kind of eight hour documentary, let it um I did, yes, I've got a copy of it. I had to watch that. That's great to watch the musical process. Do you know what I mean? How these songs evolve and stuff. They don't use bloody click tracks. No, they didn't. And they did really evolve really slowly. And it was like, oh, should we play with that one again? I just wondered, as a musician... What yeah, no, I identified with the film, went, oh, God, that's, that's how you make music. Do you know what I mean? Even though it's like massive big studio and whatever, but it's the process, you know. The process was just the same. So then, as we get to the late 80s... The weather, where the profits is no more. Though we actually, interestingly enough, there's this guy who I did an interview with who started this label. Was it Precious Recordings of London? Has been reissuing. Yeah, just released, just released the um, sessions, radio sessions, isn't it? Which is they sound so good. Well, that's in the room again. Do you know what I mean? We're not thinking too much about it, but we paid like loads of money to Lenny Kay and all that Warner Brothers stuff. You know, like and. Why have we done this? You know what I mean? It's not the way to do it. I think indie wants to sort of like be independent. That's it's in the, it's it's on the tin. That's how you do it. So you make music. So what was your memories of doing your BBC sessions? Great, all right. You know, we had the Dale Boffin or whatever his name is. You know, like Dale Griffin. That, really, that we didn't Dale Griffin. There, yeah, so. Um, yeah no we didn't get on with him so we just left to do it ourselves you know what I mean because you can do it yourselves you don't really need a producer in there really you can make much better music without a producer all my experiences with big record labels with big producers I just thought waste of bloody time you know what I mean band can just do it themselves with a decent engineer you can do it yourself you know Blimey. And even like uh, Primals did it, loaded at a local little studio in Walthamstow. Do you know what I mean? With my friend Mano Shaughnessy. It's like, be yourself. You don't need to have a bloody producer in there. Someone who knows what they're doing and how to work all the knobs and stuff. That's fine. Yes. What about sort of people coming in to help kind of create the sound or give ideas? Is that a key member? A key. But, you know, 
Mayo was good. Mayo Thompson was good. He really knew his stuff. So if you reckon the producer and rate him, then you can trust them. Do you know what I mean? But if you just think it's a waste of time when they're taking loads of cocaine and stuff, you go, why are we paying this guy thousands of pounds for this? I don't understand. You know, he's not even there. <laughs> isn't it? So what? So what happens to you, sort of, when the weather profits kind of finish, and and sort of we get into the late eighties and. Well, it was, there was going to be a Rose McDowell supergroup. We had two of the primals in there. We had Lawrence and Fell in there, Dave Golden on keyboard, me on drums. And there's a thing on YouTube of an interview with that. We actually played a couple of gigs in Brighton and the Albany in London, but that didn't really take off. But after the Weather Prophets, then I joined ATV. Because James Kylo used to work at Creation and he wanted to play with ATV, so I got drafted in to play an album with them. And then I met with my mates from school, Gary and Tony, and they'd formed a band called Sundial. So I did this album called Other Way Out, psychedelic album, about 1989. Uh, and then I moved into a big squat thing in Camden next door to the Fallen pub with my mate Alan. And we formed a band called the Rocking Birds. So did that, and um, just going back, sli- just going back slightly to your super super group with Rose, who was in Strawberry Switch. Oh yeah, it's on YouTube. You can see it. You know. Did that? Did that last very long? Because that sounds like the sort of thing they used to do in the sort of sixties and seventies, isn't it? Where they just sort of. I don't know why we didn't follow it through because it was great. It was really good, and did a couple of gigs, but then it just sort. Of Faulted. Yes. Did you, was it just like nobody had the kind of energy or the power to keep it going? Well, that was just before Primals did load. Maybe they were off doing that and Lawrence was doing, maybe it just fell apart. I don't know. I'm actually playing, been playing with Rose just before lockdown. So we're going to do some more recording and do some gigs and stuff. So I'll ask her. Yes. I don't know why. I mean, we should have done something with it. Gigs were going down really well. You know, it was a great band. Yes. So then, the Rocking Birds, who, did they have a member from Norwich who was on, I don't know, um, Slide? Well, it, it was me, it was Alan and myself to start off with in this squat in Camden. It was like four stories high in Camden. Girls, brilliant. The bathroom, we turned into like a rehearsal studio. It's like, brilliant, put my drums in there. And I'd played with the Rocking Bird before with a different lineup, but um, that wasn't really working. So I said, okay, let's get uh, Dave Golden from the Weather Prophets. And then met this guy, Andy, at the Falcon Pub. He said, oh, I want to join. So I got him on a guitar. And he said, oh, I know this pedal steel player from Norwich, because they were a big Norwich connection. Yes. And then Sean Reed, who's now in the Dex's thing, and so that band come together. And I contacted Jeff Barracks, who used to work at Creation, and he just started this label called Heavenly. So we did our first record on Heavenly, and then Heavenly got bought by Sony. So we ended up being signed to Sony in the years, like bloody hell. That was so strange. That was just very. <laughs> yes, because the Rocking Birds. Yes, because Patrick lives about eight hundred. You know, he lives like he's, in, he's living in. Um, he's living in Amsterdam, I think. Oh, has he at the moment? Because he's going. Yeah, he's, he's moved out there. Yeah. Well, as far as I know, yeah, yeah. Has he? St- is he still with his partner? Yeah, absolutely. They both moved out to Amsterdam. I think they're renting out the house. Well, this is showbiz gossip, isn't it? This is very exciting. <laughs> I thought I hadn't seen him or her lately. No, no. What, you see him on Facebook. I mean, he does come over occasionally. Right. They must have got fed up with the political situation in the country, wasn't we? Oh, yeah, that was a big thing. Once Brexit happened, it's like, no. Galinda, his, his wife is, is German. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. He's like, no way. Not with that man here. Good honour, you know, so he left for Amsterdam. Yes. So did you go to places like the old ambulance station? Because you're talking about Squatland and those guys. Oh, God, yeah. I love me squatting, yeah. Yeah, no one played the uh, uh, Loft played there, ambulance station. Because I know Mary Chain played there as well. But, yeah, we played there. And I think think there was... 
and there was a band called the Hangmen's Beautiful Daughters who played. Who, That's right. Yeah, yeah. Glad here. Because they've just brought an album out, or Optic Nerve Records, who's based in Preston, have managed to cobble together twelve of their tracks. Because I think one of the members they used to tour with um, Dan Tracy, didn't they? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was their big connection. TVPs, yeah. The TVPs, yes. So how long did the how did long did your time in the Rocking Birds last? Probably uh, what well, we did a twelve inch single on Heavenly, then got signed at about ninety two, I think it was, to Sony. Did Jules Holland show as well. Did pretty well. I bet it just lasted for about a year, I think. Yeah. My time. I I left and went. No, this ain't gonna happen. <laughs> Because they went on, I thought they were on cooking vinyl records for a while as well. Afterwards, they did. Yeah, I left and went. No, man, this ain't gonna, this ain't gonna go. <laughs> I was with my girlfriend at the time. She's like, "No, come, we're gonna settle down, and get a proper job." So I became a music therapist. <laughs> Started working for County Council. Nice. This is this is what happened with the member of the Global Village Trucking Company. One of their members sort of went and started teaching music in special needs. Yeah, now I've got a, got a degree in psychology as well. I thought, right, okay, let's put them together. I'm become a music therapist for seven years, but then still popping off to do Vic Goddard's solo album and stuff with Edwin Collins and just couldn't stop playing music. You know I mean? I'm not going to settle down, so I didn't settle down. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So was your, was your Britpop 90s period then, was that sort of the end of the Rocking Birds and then your... Time of End of the Rocking Bird. And we did do, um, uh, I remember we did this Swedish festival with Blur as well and got really well with them. And we took some drugs with them as well. Nice. They loved me with me to come to their show, you know, hang out with them at the town and country. Uh, and then they did the, uh, you know, All Right Geezer, you know, what was that song, you know? Oh, yes. Um, country House? Country, yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, that was about David Bath. Remember David Bath? Yeah, no, I like I like Blur. I thought they were a good band. Nice. Got more yeah. of them. Yeah. Well, they had a good time. They they managed. And I went to see um, Oasis play at the Hundred Club as well. Alan McGee, when they their second ever gig, I think it was. I, know. I was like, bloody hell, it's really good band. You know, attitude. Were you amazed but, when you suddenly saw Creation Records becoming? The kind of the big. Well, I'd sort of left. I mean, I wasn't on any any part of creation really. It wasn't didn't carry on after Weather Profits. It was like that's it really. Yes. So I just did a couple of albums of ATV and then formed the Rock Birds. Were you were you surprised though from those early days of the the living room? And those little sort of, not little, but, you know, indie singles with creation to suddenly see them as this ginormous kind oh, of... Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Because you don't really think of them like that, do you know what I mean? It's like you remember the times, like, no, it was upstairs at the pub and we were all, you know, it did, it did feel special maybe at the time a bit, you know, because there was definitely something happening. But when you look back thinking, my God, how is people really championing it now? It's like it was just a little thing, you know, but that's when all the best things happen yes. right at the beginning, you know. It's always the exciting period. I loved it. Yes, those those kind of early days. But then, so then, what happens to you in the sort of the O years, and then sort of the last couple of decades? Oh, well, sort of. Uh, I say played with uh, Sig Griffin from the Long Riders, touring in America. Did sort of Western Electric with him as well, and. Um, well, Patrick Fitzgerald from uh, Kitchens of Distinction. We oh, formed a thing, Stephen Hero. I just, you know what? Kitchen, he is so hard to get hold of. How do you mean? Well, I've well he's his doctor. He's the doctor. Are you trying to interview him? Oh my he's God. a fantastic guy. He's brilliant. Really good. <laughs> now he's a doctor working on the front line now. Is he? Oh, yeah. He's doing his bit. Yeah. Blimey, there you go. I, did, I keep I'm... saying, oh, well, let's do another track or something. He's like, no, look, I'm really, you know, 
saving people's lives here, you know, intensive care. <laughs> Fine, okay, he won't do anything. But this, this, is, this is what, oh, right, I had no idea. But I did notice he's, he's got a band camp page and he does release stuff still. So he's obviously... No, he does occasionally, but, you know, I think the last thing we did was probably seven years ago or something, maybe, you know. Yes, but he's probably Steve had a very... These last two years for a doctor has probably been a bit difficult, haven't they? Oh, good on him for doing it. Oh, I mean, genius. Really. God, I mean, you know, little did I think, you know, when I saw him at the Norwich Arts Centre talking about the third time coming out of the capsule, that he was going to be a GP. Don't I think? think he qualified as a doctor before Kitchens almost, I think. Right. In, I think. Yeah, it was a classic album. Yeah, so then who else? God, you've played just about with everybody. Sid? from the Lone Riders, Kitchens of Distinction, Patrick. Who else have you managed to sort of work with? Um, well, ATV, I've just produced them for about the last 10 years. So I did Opposing Forces and after every release in the last 10 years I've done. And Vic Goddard as well did his solo album in 2018, 2017, something. Mum's Revenge. Did, was, did he have Mick? Jones on that album. Oh no, that's the other album. The recent album was just done. I did the album before his solo album. Right. That's with the Subway Sect. That's a proper full lineup. The old Subway Sect. With Paul this Cook. This is on. just Vic coming around my house going, let's do some music, you know, just make music. He's one of the nicest guys in the world, isn't he? Brilliant. Love working with him. Well, because he's looking after his dad because he's 100 years old, so he really needs looking after, so he hasn't really been doing music much. But I keep saying, oh, I'll come round and bring a little drum kit or something, we'll do some demos, we'll get back into it, you know what I mean? But he's not doing any shows or anything. No, I would imagine having a father who's, who's 100 has, has a few needs. So did you then set up your own studio or the accordion place? Yeah, no, I, well, I moved up to St Albans, about 2003, I think it was, uh, and then got studio spaces together, really, and started producing them in bands up here and having, you know, Jowhead come in here as well. We just got a little band called Candide, inspired by this rock karaoke thing we do as well. <laughs> we just go and improvise around our favourite can song, you know. It's fantastic. He's well, from Boning and just does this crap rock karaoke. Pick your favourite crap rock song and just do a verse on it. It's fantastic. So we formed a band out of that. Got Joss Cope to do it as well. There you go. God, that's... that's I, can't, I can't help forming bands. Everywhere I go, I'm just forming back. <laughs> but it is quite a scene, isn't it? This This kind of, like... Yeah, there's certain people who've just been into every band, haven't they? Like Jeff Bloom, Jowlhead. I've made 86 albums, well, records. How many? When I put them all together. My Facebook, I'm like, oh, my God, 86. I'm going for the 100. But, oh. um, yeah, the next I'm going to do is with this spew. I've just done Jim's album. You know, so many different ways of working. I've got a studio here, so I'm getting loads. So I can just record drums. People send me backing tracks. I'll put drums on for it. The beauty of working with click tracks, you know. Well, absolutely. And and what was the last two years like then? Did it, apart from probably being a shock, did you slowly get into a routine of how to work around the COVID experience? Yeah, working at home. And then I started doing lockdown covers. Did a version of like a loft song or do a version of Jazz Butcher song. And he, he loved it and said, oh, I'm going to do it for that. Well, I slowed down this song called Lot 49 off of Fishka Tech, which is yes. really, you know, he said, play as fast as you can. I'm like, no, man, it should be much slower. So I did a different version, played a bit of guitar, a bit of piano, and started doing lockdown covers. And then, uh, yeah, Jazz Butcher contacted me and said, okay, let's go to the studio and do some, do his album. So that's right. the first one I've sort of been out in lockdown to a proper studio. God, I've felt this for a long time, you know. And it was a, a nice studio as well, wasn't it? Fantastic studio. I think he's a proper... Lee Russell, he's a fantastic producer, and he does, like, 
girls allowed and he's a you know probably a millionaire now out of music you know it's a fantastic studio collection of gibson guitars from the 50s and just these old vintage microphones and fantastic carved skin drums and like going we're in music heaven this is how you would imagine it to be you know it's fantastic so with the jazz and that comes and with the Jazz Butcher album that you did, which was his last one, did he have all the songs kind of roughly demoed, you know, demoed before sort of... As I say, we did three songs. We did um, Sea Madness and Manly Hargreaves here, and it had bass and horns. It was like a full band set up. They sound pretty much as they do on the album. They started sending me basic demos of just him playing guitar, and I'd add some drums and send it back to him, and he'd go, yeah, okay, that sound good, brilliant, let's have that. So they were all like, lots of pre-production, mm-hmm. and then we just literally, I met the bass player, I went, okay, hello, Tim, how you doing? Right, let's go make an album. So we'd never met before. We just started recording straight away, did four tracks in a day, boom, 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 fantastic. Four tracks the next day, boom, boom, boom. And then one track on the last day, so it was done in like two and a half days. Yes. Did, did, all, you know. live, all live. I think all the click tracks, but all just in the room. Total just feeling, you know. So what, and then what, they just land and stuff after that. Because it is, it's, a, it's a stunning kind of jazz. It's lush. So I couldn't believe I made now, but it's like, my God, this is the best thing I've ever made. It's fantastic. <laughs> So would you say that's more of a jazz vibe for you than a, than a funk vibe? Or underneath it, is it quite funky? It's definitely got the groove. I am my lone groover, do you know what I mean? That's, you've got to have the groove. But it's, yeah, one, it's, a couple of them are straight jazz songs. Then it goes into soul. Then it goes into, like, weird discordant, you know, five, four, six, eight kind of, you know. Yes. So over the... Vibe, you know. Yeah, over the decades, have there been, have, has there been drummers that you've sort of gone back and listened to and sort of slightly emulated? Oh, the, the guy who inspired me to play drums was Jackie Liebsire from Cannes, Crowd Rock again. And I had the opportunity to meet him in about 93, I think, because they put out an album on mute, I think it was. I got invited to the launch party, so I met Can. And I met Jackie Leavesight, who's the guy who inspired me to play drums. And he told me the secret of how to play Mushroom by Can. Right. Which is what I've been trying to play this. I was like, how does he bloody do that? You know, so he told me how to do it. So I'm holding on to that secret. <laughs> Maybe I'll work with it later on, you know. But, oh, that's how he did fucking hell. Yes. And has your style changed much over the decades? Have you sort of... I can play many different styles, you know what I mean? That's what I do. I accommodate whatever needs to be played. That's what I'll play. So I don't get stuck in one genre at all. I listen to a broad range of music. Yes, because I can't remember... I say about not being stuck in any one genre. I'm going, it's great, like that, but I like this as well, something completely opposite. And I like grunge, I like that. It's absolute music, you know. Yes, because there was... Not purist in any way. Yes, but did you, because it was the guy who was in the Bible called Bo Huardine, who I spoke to, who said, you know, oh, yeah. the, drummer, the drummer is the one who holds the band together. You really have to have a good drummer. You've got to be able to dance to it, you know. If you can't dance to it and the drummer creates the dance... Yes. It's always so, a good test for me. Do you know what I mean? If you're tapping your foot, whenever I'm mixing, it's like, forget my foot going. I'm going, yeah, oh, yeah, there we go. This is it. It's happening now. Boom. It's done. So, in a slightly hypothetical way, if if David Growl, Growl from the Foo Fighters said, look, we, oh, he's we, good. But we, but you know, we need you to stand in for a gig that we're doing in two weeks' time, would you be able to sort of go, Okay, I could, could give this a shot. Would, no, I'd have a go. Absolutely, yeah. Probably won't be able to do it, but I'll have a go, you know. Just you have to get your head round it and start thinking in that way. Do you know what I mean? Listen to all the records and go, oh, okay. Loads of people come up to me and say, look, we can play on this. I go, right, okay, let's get into that headset and right, I'll do that style, you know. Right. That's play yeah. lots of style. What you yeah. want to do. And the best way to practice is I just put random records on. I've got my studio set up, all the drums set up, 
blaring out the PA, right, let's have like a couple of hours of records playing. And it could be anything, soul and funk and noise, and whatever you want. And I'll play to it. Yes. Songs I've never heard. I love just going, one, two, three, four, what are we going to do? Right, let's play this. Improvise. Yeah. God, I wish I could remember who I interviewed last week or last month. But it was like he, he told me that he'd sort of gone to London to have drumming lessons with somebody who was really hard ass, And, uh, you know, you really had to practice between sessions because otherwise he would just kind of kick you out of the room and you'd still have to pay for your lesson. So um, did you ever sort of have any drumming teachers like that? No, I think when I got my drum kit, I did go for lessons with this guy, Len, sort of adult education thing, you know, just, you know, drum kit there and show me some rudiments and, and how to write drum music because I could read music, but I couldn't read drum music. So he taught me drum music and some of the rudiments and stuff. And then said, well, I don't really need to do anything with you. You're ready. Just go off and do it. Right. Your piano lessons at seven were ideal. I never got into the, you know, theory and all that stuff and learning all your rudiments. It's not really. I'm a feel player. I'm a groove player, you know, so... I want to get people dancing, so I know how to do that, you know. Yeah, because I did... Um, you can't it, really teach that. It's from the heart, you know. And I can see drummers just go, they're, they're probably better than me, but just put their head down and they're not listening as a musician. Do you know what I mean? That's how you should play the drums. Yeah. than keeping the time, you know what I mean? Because I didn't, I didn't interview with, with, I think his name is John Cambridge, who was in David Bowie's kind of band, you know, almost the Ziggy Stardust band. But then it was like they thought he's not quite it, so they sort of slightly sort of got rid of him, you know, in a way that band bands do, and then sort of it's Woody... It's a really important instrument to get the right drummer, do you know what I mean? They are half the band, Yes, I'm a bit biased, <laughs> but, I mean, they're the mainstay of the band, you know. So do you sort of understand why they would have said, look, you know, John's fine, but actually he's not going to be quite the drummer we need and we need to get, you know, Woody needs to Oh, yeah, in. yeah, you know. I haven't, you know, I've sort of had some bands where they go, oh, well, you know, it sounds good, but we've got a different drummer. I think Spaceman Free as well was pretty much going to be in them and they sort of went for someone else. They're fine, it's fine, I'll go and do something else. It's not working. It's not working. Gone really well with them, staying with Sonic, yes. his massive mansion, you know, and then going off to stay with all the others in their squats. And it's like, okay, it's good. And lots of uh, smoky stuff. And yeah, it's all right. But, you know, they went for someone else. That's yes, fine. dear old Sonic Pete. It's very important to get the right person, you know. Yeah. And have you managed to sort of Man, you know, navigate that exciting world that has been the, the world of drugs. Did that, did that sort of, because I did an interview. With yes, I have navigated that world quite a lot. Yes, I have an ma extensive map of it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I remember going, uh, yeah, it was about 80 when the weather profits were just about going and uh, the house thing was starting. And um, Jeff Barrett, and Bobby Gillespie and the guy from Loop were all invited to this party to try this ecstasy drug. I was like, Whoa, what's this bloody thing, you know? So I actually took some mushrooms just in case it didn't work. So I was almost half tripping out my pants anyway, then took some ecstasy. Hey, it was fantastic. I was dancing like a demon for eight hours in this sort of weird squat place, you know. And had Dex there just playing mad records all night. I looked at my watch, oh, it's eight o'clock in the morning. We all dance. It's all going fucking mad, you know. That was it, you know. I guess I'm switched on to ecstasy. Yes, it's great. Excellent. Well, yes, it was it was quite yeah. So I guess when you heard the sort of groove of the the Stone Roses, that must have really been exciting kind of new musical chapter. Oh, I loved and and grunge as well. I loved that as well because Nirvana were playing the my local pubs and stuff. You go and see. You had um, Faith Stealers, Faith Healers as well. Roxanne, I think as well. Yes, some um, part of that Camden grunge scene. Camden well, was, lurch. Scene, well, there was there was kind of Silverfish, the Faith Healers, my bloody so, Valentine. Yeah, all these bands I know really well. Yeah, yeah. Blimey, there you go. And then you had sort of, I guess, Carter, the Unstoppable Sex Machine, and, and bands like Lush as well. 
I liked um, Chemical Brothers. They were the ones. They? they were the ones for me, really, for they that did. drug time. We... <laughs> it did was you a do... drug time. You know, I mean, it wasn't drugs. It was. It was a lot of drugs, wasn't there? Did you um, play any festivals? That you know, the Glastonbury experience. Did you have one of those? Oh, I did about five or six times. Yeah, Reading and Phoenix and Flar and loads. Loads what was of the, festivals. Was that mostly? That wasn't all with the the Rocking Birds, though, was it? No, probably uh, about three times with Weather Prophets, Arms and Rocking Birds, for Glastonbury. That's the best festival ever. That's fantastic. And I remember we played it the first time, it was a bit lax as well. So people would like have a ladder over the fence. Say, right, give us a fiver and I'll give you, put the ladder down and you get over the fence or over a tunnel. And now it's just like corporate, you know what I mean? It's completely changed. Yes. Well, I remember security fences and God knows what, you know. But I think when we went to see David Bowie, we were we didn't have a ticket, but we were sort of in the area. So we just decided to have a go and think we were going to have to buy a ticket. And then we got closer and closer. And then there was this kind of, I think that was the fence. We just walked over it. It just completely knocked down. But then when we got into the festival, you could, you really had to struggle, you know, struggle to move, especially through around those bridges. You know, it was like there was so many uh, people. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, if you play there in rain as well, it's just nightmare, the mud and stuff. Yeah. My God. It was it, it was just too much. So um, I can understand why they had to put up a proper fence that didn't just get knocked down on the first kind of wind or someone pushing against it. So, but yes, well, I've been I've been recently, but I imagine it's really changed. I imagine I'd be like, mm, well, I think it. when you played in with the Weather Prophets, probably in sort of '87, which was my first class, yeah, they used yeah, to have a yeah. kind of alternative stage, didn't they? Which was kind of for the people. Yeah, there was like stage two. We played to like ten thousand people. Oh my God, this is fantastic! Acoustic was it? Acoustic stage, kind of now. There was yeah, definitely, there was definitely a sort of a John Peel kind of stage. Yeah, there? there was. Yeah, yeah. Which which was all kind of exciting. The one thing which is always kind of curious: Do you sort of? You know, with with being on so many bands and labels, did you ever sort of get paid for any of the kind of royalties or any kind of, you know, with all these reissues? Do you go, oh, I got paid well, I mean, with the Loft stuff, yeah, I still get royalty checks and the Weather Profits as well. Pete did a good thing and went, yeah, you know, we're going to split everything four ways or whatever it is. So I still get from Cherry Red, you know, regular checks. Used to, but otherwise it's like... No, I mean, if it's a session, then you're getting your session fee. You know what I mean? That's, That's all you're getting, really. You're not getting payment for it. But I think you can go to PRS. I, I did once list all the records where I was going, my God, look how many records I've done, pages of it, you know. But you can get, they can go back and find the royalties for you. You right. get some money from So, yeah, I still get a PRS check as well, yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's good. So out of all the people you've played with, what would be your sort of personal kind of absolute highs that you thought, you know, certain records that you were, you've played on? Oh God, well, this new Jazz Butcher one has got to have it, really. And he's, he, and Fish Could Take as well, both the albums, brilliant, you know. Yes. Um, and Patrick Fitzgerald as well. They're, they're sort of bands where I'm going, or records I'm going, I'm really proud of that record, you know. But I've done loads of records and they're not all brilliant, you know. <laughs> I've done them, you know, they can't all be brilliant, you know. No. But there's, you know. But you do what you can at the time, you know. And does it feel quite nice with this kind of wave of kind of reissues and certain amount of, I wouldn't say complete nostalgia, but being able to reconnect with some of the old lineups and old band members that you might not have seen for decades, has that been generally a good experience well facebook's really good for that so you can get hooked up with jow heads and all these people and go oh yeah brilliant let's go and play a gig let's form a band you know so <laughs> where's you get in contact with people and here's having a renaissance that time that eight is time it's like wow okay when you say oh i'm in done primal scream or i've done weather profits people go, my god you've done them and it's like yeah you know it's really give it that credence but you know yes it's people are respectful of it 35 years later we think blimey i didn't realize yeah, yes primal. Yeah. so when you when you um if you could have said something to your like 16 
or 18 year old self starting out is there any any words of wisdom that you would have whispered in their ear just as they were about to launch into their kind of musical career i don't know because i haven't really done it now but um make your own music as well you know what i mean do what you want to do your drums but I keep thinking about it like, yeah, I should have made a single or something. But there's always something coming along. There's always somebody wants to play, you know, play drums for and so you never get it together. Or you start to do little lockdown stuff and get a little album together, but you don't do it. You know? Yes. That's and what I should you... say to myself now, do a fucking record. You know? Just do it. Yes, get out there and... and I can't... I think this is a guy... Actually, I do know. I remember the guy who drums with... Lydia Lunch, he's the one who told me about his drumming lessons. Can you remember who drums with Lydia Lunch? I'm oh, God up. knows. <laughs> I don't know names of drummers, for goodness sake. I think he's just brought an album out. So, yes, I remember, we all remember Cozy Powell, don't we, with the Dance with the Devil or something exciting like oh that. Oh, my God. But that was just a bit Cozy too... Powell. Cozy Powell. No, I wouldn't make a very good like that. <laughs> No, no, it's, it's, you know, I should do it, really. You've got to do it, haven't you? You've got the studio, which is all very exciting. I've got so. the studio, no, I do noodle around, but, you know, there's always something else comes along, oh, and I'll do that. Put it back to another. So what One got, day I'll do it. So what, what have you got lined up for the rest of the year on the sort of the studio or sort of band front? Well, I want to get Jim doing some more gigs, maybe. I don't know, but... Um, the next one to do is Spew, which is related to um, Rude Mechanicals. Right. The same band as Rude Mechanicals are in Spew as well. Based around Coz and Marina. They're in both bands. So be recording that for the, I don't know, maybe June or July or something. But um, it's weird. I've just started doing a project as well with disabled kids. So I'm going to be doing that as well a couple of days a week. It's a local place around here, and they want like a little music project for, for kids. Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah, let's do that. I used to do music therapy before, so I'm going, yeah, let's use your skill, you know, and spread some good. If people need help at the moment, you know what I mean, getting out psychological trauma and stuff and disabilities and making music really helps you oh, so God. that's what i'll be doing is hopefully a couple of weeks time start doing it and record as well and uh there's well i've just as i said just been contacted by this guy who wants to do a jazz butcher record and he's taking the drums out so i'm going to put some drums on that and there's talk about doing a, a jazz butcher gig as well in december around his birthday which is like 20th of december i think it is god that'll be nice so yeah we did one uh last year at the dublin castle and i had like dave lance callahan and rollo from wooden tops and p astor and stuff all just doing jazz butcher songs yes well, that's like a backing band together. It was a great night out, yeah. So this weekend you've got Jim Jim Shepherd. Yeah, you're gonna come along. God, it would be oh, I don't know, you can't be he's oh, too far away. I want to put you on the guest list. Oh, I'm promoting God. it. So I'll go like <laughs> <laughs> good come to my gig. Was that was that good fun working with Jim? He's fantastic. He's really good. You know, I didn't know what to expect. I knew the Jasmine Minks from Creation Times and, you know, Loft played them as well and, and, and Weather Prophets. But he sent me these tracks. I'm like, bloody hell, this is brilliant. This is really good. Yeah. All to click and really brilliant guitars, brilliant songs. Put the drums down. Send them back to him, but yeah, brilliant. As I say, it's all just been done by from bits. So yes. we've got hold of Frank Sweeney from June, June Brides and a rash who plays bass in June Brides. Put on their bits, they send me the bits. I put it together and I produce it. Bloody but hell, he's so great. He's he's really good. He's you know, very talented guy. Very, yeah. Absolutely. You check out check out his new album, The Circle. That's what we're promoting. 
and then we've got about three or four tracks on YouTube, so it's easy to find. Yeah, I've got, um, yeah, I've got the, someone sent me some bits and pieces. But look, this is fantastic. Well, look, thank you ever so much and good luck with um, all these other projects, actually. It sounds amazing what you're doing. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. It's good to speak to you, mate. You know, yeah, you made me well, sort of think about my, my history and go, oh, God, yeah, you did that. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. Well, I, there was a lot to sort of take in, actually. I didn't, I've never met somebody who's had so many, like, projects going on at one time. Most it's like... No, and that's why I had to write it down and go, oh, God, I've got to remember and explain all this stuff to him. You know what I mean? <laughs> probably won't know about it. It would be very difficult. Anyway, look, thank you again. And if you want, I can always send you the... Yeah, link, and then you can always put it on your Facebook page. Yeah, I'll post it on Facebook. Yeah, love to. Yeah, do fantastic. But look, thanks a lot, and best of luck for the for the year ahead, and working with the members of the Rude Mechanicals. Gonna be good. We shall see what it's like. I'm sure you'll hear it. I will. Okay. Look. Take care. See you later. You take care. Lovely. Fantastic, mate. See bye you bye. soon. Bye. Bye now. Indeed, that's how you end a conversation. Very swiftly anyway look i love leaving that last bit in for lots of reasons it's mostly for myself it makes me smile anyway a massive thank you to dave morgan for giving me the time for that interview casual chat anyway look um lots of projects and uh, go and search him out i think he's on facebook and various other social media platform sites but probably is facebook anyway this has been the c86 show this is david east so if you want to contact me you can on facebook twitter instagram just do c86 show um, these have all been archived as well, so you can find them. Nearly 800. <laughs> ha! Aren't you lucky? Anyway, look, have a great week. Stay safe.